Let's pray. God, when I see and hear stories like this one, I'm just reminded of how often I forget to pray for those who are persecuted because of their faith. I'm reminded of how grateful we should be with the freedom that we have. And so God, I just pray that right now you would be with those who are in prison because of their faith, those who have lost loved ones because of their faith. And God, may we, with the freedom that we have, be willing to follow you to the ends of the earth, to be representatives of your love and faith and hope to those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but when I hear stories like the story of Hey Wu, it just, it's almost overwhelming. But it's a reminder that what we are experiencing is just temporary. And actually, there's this beautiful verse that says that God puts us in the exact time in history and place on this planet that might give us the best opportunity to find him. And so it's hard to understand why we would be given so much. And yet at the same time, I have to acknowledge that we live in a Western culture where where coming to faith is actually, in some cases, harder. I have a friend of mine who used to live in Indonesia. He said it was way easier to share about his faith there than it is in Austin, Texas. See, familiarity breeds contempt, and there's enough knowledge about Christianity that some of us, even in this room, have rejected what our parents or grandparents or great-grandparents embraced. See, I think that we need to get back to the pure message of what the scriptures actually say. Don't reject faith because of what others have said or others have done in the name of Christianity, but instead look and see who Jesus really was and what did he really say? There's this beautiful picture of what will be. It says in Revelation chapter seven, after this, I looked and beheld a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. See, the picture of eternity is that every nation will be represented. As we've talked over these last few weeks, the scriptures, the Bible is the only spiritual book that is written to all the nations. In fact, 500 different times the nations are addressed. That God's love is for the nations and that this picture, there's no division, there's no poverty, there's no prisons, there's nothing separating us from God. And you have to know that God is at work, not just in these places where there's persecution, but perhaps in even greater ways in the midst of this persecution. I have friends who live in the Middle East and tell me miraculous stories of people in Iraq, people in Lebanon coming to faith. I had a chance to go to Shanghai and, and visit with people in the midst of what is illegal for a local to come to faith, risking their lives to do that very thing. In fact, the message of Jesus is spreading more quickly in non-Western places, in Africa and Latin America. God is at work around the world. 
When I was first following Jesus as a 17-year-old, I was captured by a story of a man named Bruce Olson. In the 60s, 1960s, a 19-year-old Bruce Olson from Minnesota, tall Scandinavian-American kid, felt God calling him to the jungles of South America. His parents did not feel the same calling for his life. And when he bought a one-way ticket to Venezuela, they were very, very upset. But he was 19 years old. They, they didn't feel like they could stop him or should stop him, and so he went. Now, he was going to the jungles to find a tribe that had very little contact with the rest of the world. This was a tribe known for being cannibals. That's not the kind of tribe typically you want to pursue to go after. And yet Bruce Olson made his way into the jungle. And with all sorts of danger, even dodging arrows, eventually befriended some of the tribe. And as he began to learn the language over the course of the next several weeks and months, discovered that his life was spared because there was a legend. They believed that one day God the creator would reveal himself through the tall man with the yellow hair. I could tell you story after story after story of how God is at work. These are stories that you will not hear on the news. God's love for people, for the nations, is bigger than what you and I could imagine. And here's what's amazing. We're invited into that story, into that adventure. See, we're calling this series, Oh, the Places You Will Go. But if we're honest, we get derailed. And life is not really an adventure. In fact, instead of that book, Oh, the Places You'll Go by Dr. Seuss, when you graduated, perhaps you should have received this book instead. Oh, the Meetings You'll Go To. <laughs> A parody by Dr. Seuss, right? But instead, we see in Romans 15, God's heart for the nations and what could be our ambition? Listen to this. Paul writes, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. And what we see is these people who followed after Jesus soon after Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and then eventually ascended into the presence of the Father. They did not stay where they were. They went to the ends of the earth. Paul was headed towards Spain. Peter went to Rome. Thomas, doubting Thomas, traveled to India. Matthew went to Persia. Andrew journeyed to Turkey, Greece, and even to the Slavic peoples. James, the son of Alphaeus, trekked to Syria. And what's remarkable is that they were in the midst of persecution. In fact, many of them were killed because of their faith imprisoned because of their message of hope and love. But what's remarkable is these ordinary tax collectors and fishermen made more of an impact in history than the political leaders who oppressed them. I mean, we all know someone named after Peter, James, and John. And now we name our dogs after these political figures, Nero and Julius Caesar. I wonder, what is it that God wants to do in your life? What kind of impact is he wanting to make in you and through you? In one of his final moments with his disciples, he's already died on the cross, he'd already arisen from the dead, and in one of his final moments with his disciples, he says these words, words that we need to take to heart in Matthew 28. 
Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In this, Jesus makes a great claim, a great command, and offers great comfort. He makes a great claim. He says, all authority on heaven and on earth are given to me. In other words, he is reminding them that he is, excuse me, he is God in human form. He has all authority on heaven and earth. And he came to rescue you and me and all of humanity. He lived a perfect life. He taught with authority. He did the miraculous. And then he willingly died on the cross to become a bridge between broken, selfish humanity and a perfect and holy God. He came to be with us and then miraculously he rose from the dead, giving his spirit to all who would follow him. He came from God, he is God and is not to be ignored. And then he gives this great command, go and make disciples of all nations. This word nations literally means people groups, every tribe, every tongue, every people group. God's heart is for all of the nations that we might help others find faith and grow in their faith. It's not called the great suggestion. It's not called the great maybe. It's not the great thing to do if there's nothing on Netflix. It's the great commandment. And part of why we find our faith boring is because we're not living out the greatest thing that we could be a part of advancing the message of Jesus, his faith, love, and hope to others. But he offers great comfort as well. See, if we step out, if we're willing to say go, if we're willing to move out of our comfort zone in our faith, he is with us. I wonder, have you wrestled with this idea? What does this mean for me to go? I shared with you a couple weeks ago that my faith really began to grow when I shifted my prayers from God protect me to God send me. Have you begun to ask God to work in you and through you? Begun to see yourself as a part of his story. I wanna wanna show you just three maps just to give you a sense of what's happening in the world. This first map shows us that five out of six people without faith have not had the opportunity to hear about Jesus. Each blue and red dot on the map represents 50,000 people, blue meaning those with faith and red meaning those who have not ever heard of Jesus. 2.9 billion people have not heard the message. The next map shows us that only 3% of missionaries go to unreached people groups, the purple being those, again, with faith, the red being those who need faith. Now, this word missionary is a word that isn't used very often around Gateway. We believe in the idea of being on mission for sure, but, but that word missionary has kind of been maligned. Colonialism is associated with it, right? When we hear the word missionary, we think of colonialisms or colonialism, or we think of those people that interrupt Saturday morning cartoons at our house. It's not our favorite thing, right? 
But we have to acknowledge that culturally speaking, whenever one peoples begin to conquer other peoples, that there are evil things that take place, but there's some good things that can take place as well, trade, but also the spread of information. And so just as the Europeans went around the planet, so did the Persians and the Babylonians and the Huns. This happened time after time after time. We shouldn't reject the efforts of some people who had sincere faith to spread the message of love to the planet. We shouldn't mix up their intentions with the evil political desires of those who did terrible things in spreading their message, which was not of faith. But what we begin to discover is that God can use broken people and God can use even the oddest of circumstances to bring good. The last image shows you that most of the money that we spend on mission work is actually being used in places where we've already had a saturation of the message. See, we're incredibly resourced, and so what are we doing with those resources? Romans 10 says it this way, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in, and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? See, the beautiful thing is that everyone has the opportunity to be rescued by God. It just requires an acknowledgement that we need to be rescued. And we have the opportunity to share that message with others, that God loves them, that God wants a relationship with them. We are called to go. And for some of us, it's to move. Maybe you have a job that could open the door for you to be in places that have never heard of Jesus. And maybe it's even to travel cross-culturally. Listen to this verse in Matthew 24. If you've ever wondered, when is the end coming? This verse tells us. Some of you are like, oh, there's not a date involved. Just listen. It says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. See, Jesus is coming back and will make everything right. And you wonder, in the midst of this broken world and with all the evil, why is he waiting? The reason he's waiting is because he loves all nations and he wants everyone represented, everyone having the opportunity to say yes. We have so many different opportunities we don't have time to get into, so we've included them on the next steps. Every week at our Connect Spot, you can pick up a little sheet called Next Steps, which will give you some ways to apply what you're hearing to your life. But I've shared with you just a little bit of my experience understanding the bigger world in which we live. See, it's easy for us to get bogged down in our own circumstances and forget that God is doing something significant and extraordinary, and we're invited into it. I was 19 years old, and I had a chance to go from Dallas, where I grew up, to Brazil, my first trip overseas. And it was an eye-opening and amazing experience. They speak Portuguese in Brazil, and so they had trouble saying my name, which ends in a consonant, Eric Bryant. So they would try to say my name, and it came out, Eric Branch. And so they changed my name. In Brazil, I'm known as Eric Bryanti. That's my name in Brazil, in Portuguese. And it was such an eye-opening, life-changing experience that I began to pray about the possibility that, that maybe one day after college, 
that God would send me somewhere overseas. And, and that verse that I read earlier about going to places where, no one ha- where people had not heard, I, I was compelled and intrigued by the idea of going to India. And then I met a girl. She became my wife. And she had a compelling calling on her life. She was learning Spanish because she wanted to be a missionary to Mexico. I wasn't sure how this would work out. This is a bad habit. If you're single, you might still do this. But when you meet someone, you start to figure out the future with them before you even ask them out. (laughs) That's not a good idea. Just ask them out. Get to know them before you figure out their future. And so I had some good counsel like that, and I wasn't sure how that would work out because there's not a lot of Indians in Mexico or Mexicans in India. All I knew is I wanted to be with her wherever we would go. And so we moved to Seattle. (laughs) And there's not a lot of Indians or Mexicans in Seattle, but it gave us four more years to figure out, well, where would we go as we continue to finish our schoolwork? And and in in the midst of that, we had a chance to go to Europe and we were in a city called Granada, Spain. Granada is where the Alhambra is located. It's a Muslim palace. See, Spain was a Muslim country for 800 years, and we began to dream and even pray about the prospect, even talk to an organization about sending us to live in Granada, Spain, where I could help reach people who had never heard of Jesus, these many North Africans that were immigrating to Spain, and she could serve in Spanish. It seemed to be exactly what God was calling us to do. But we knew we needed to learn a little bit more before we moved overseas. So we moved to Los Angeles for a couple years. The plan was just six months, and then it turned into a couple years. But while we were there, our our son was born. I've shared with you, he ended up needing open-heart surgery, was eating with a feeding tube till he was three and a half, all sorts of medical issues. And in the midst of our time in Los Angeles, the third place we lived in L.A. was a little town right in the middle of L.A. County called Alhambra. In fact, as Caleb grew up, as we started to realize going overseas was not what God intended for us in that moment, we actually would go to Granada Park where he would play t-ball and baseball. In fact, the mascot for the high school in Alhambra is the Moors. That means fighting Muslims. And all of a sudden, one day it dawned on me, we had the right name of the town, just the wrong continent. But I can tell you that while we lived in Alhambra, we had a chance to see people from all sorts of different backgrounds come to faith. A woman from Iran, a woman from Malaysia. We had a chance to take teams from Los Angeles into Spain. We saw Californians come to faith. We even saw Texans who moved to California come to faith. That's true, some people moved there. I wonder, what is God calling you towards? Because I can tell you, being open to wherever he might lead has opened so many amazing doors. And that's why here at Gateway, we have what we call our go teams. We just had a team of teenagers get back from New York City. I have a couple pictures to show you. Here they are having fun in Times Square. And here they are in another picture I don't think they wanted on the screen, serving in a soup kitchen. They wear those hairnets well, huh? But we also had a team of children that stayed in this building and served in Austin for their cross-cultural experience. Here are the kids out at a picnic, and then here they are again serving in our city. See, in these opportunities, these cross-cultural opportunities, these 
one week long experiences can stretch us enough to where then we start thinking like missionaries where we live. See, some of us are called to go and others of us are called to build cross-cultural relationships right here. Do you know that there are 4,500 international students just at the University of Texas? I read a, a fascinating statistic. There are 600,000 international students in the United States. That's a lot, 600,000. But 80% of them never set foot in a home of an American in the four years they live here. See, we have opportunities right here. Our town is becoming more and more diverse with the world moving to Austin. But listen to what the scriptures tell us. Leviticus 19, the alien living with you must be treated as one of your native born. Love him as yourself, for you were aliens in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So not only are we called to go, some of us it's to literally move, to travel cross-culturally, others of us to build relationships cross-culturally here. Some of us are called to send by giving financially. We see this in the early church. Look in Acts chapter 13. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. See, we do that here at Gateway. We, we send people overseas. We send these short-term teams out. And for those of you who gave above what you normally give to Gateway to help these kids serve, you were a part of what they discovered and what they learned. For some of us, our way to sin is to pray. Never diminish the power of prayer. Praying for the persecuted church, praying for those who have never heard, praying that God would work through those who have been sent. Colossians 4 says it this way, and pray for us too, that God may give, or that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. But we have to be honest. There are barriers that get in the way of this adventure that God invites us into. The first barrier is simply this. I'm too blank to go. Just fill in the blank. Could be, I'm too young, too old, too poor, too busy, too afraid, too new to faith, too far from God. What is it that keeps getting in the way of what God wants to do in your life? You have more capacity than you realize, more opportunity than you realize. Don't allow your blank to be a barrier to keeping you from what God has for your life. Second barrier is I would go, but I don't know what's available. Well, I'm glad you said that. We have so many opportunities. In fact, I wanna encourage you today, sometime today, go to this website, gatewaychurch.com slash go teams. And you can see opportunities that you might want to jump in and be a part of in the future. We have a trip to India in the new year. South always takes. With Kimberly and Robert, who are right over here, you can find out more from them. We have a trip to Haiti that we go to annually. Or maybe going to that website, you can see the different trips that you wanna help our Gateway South teams get to where they're going. We have a team from Nicaragua. We have a team going to Israel. In fact, today we wanna invite you to join us in this room for lunch, free lunch, just to hear more about these opportunities to be involved with, whether going or sending. And perhaps you wanna jump into what we're doing, cross-cultural work in the city by going to gatewaychurch.com slash refugees. But the third barrier may be that you just don't feel it's safe. I need to just say from the outset 
Following Jesus is not safe. When you surrender your life to follow him and you truly make him the Lord, the leader of your life, he will guide you to places you would never have imagined and you'll look back amazed. But I'm telling you, there's no better place to be than where he wants you to be. The fourth barrier may be, well, I don't know how to help someone even follow Jesus. Now we try to make it easy. We have these little invitation cards that you can give to your neighbors and coworkers and friends. And I'm kind of a recycling stickler. And you might have noticed that this only says the morning services. It's because I don't want to reprint new ones that say 6 p.m. until we use up these. And so take these and write 6 p.m. on it if you want. But invite people. You will be amazed at how open the people around you might be to discussing their spiritual journey. In fact, the best thing to do is to, to start moving your conversations from superficial to significant. Just really get to know the people already in your life and see if they might share some of the needs they have. And you could offer to meet those needs or even pray for them. You might be amazed at when asking about someone's story, their spiritual journey. If, if you're willing to listen to their story, they're always willing to listen to yours. And then just to encourage you that your goal is not to try to make anyone believe anything. Your goal is just to find people who are searching and they're everywhere. We're not trying to proselytize. We're not trying to convert. We're trying to help people who are longing for peace in their life. And there's a couple verses, just knowing these verses. You don't even have to memorize the whole verse. Just know where they're found. These can help you point people towards faith. The first is just a reminder of the condition we're in, of why we need Jesus. It says this in Romans 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know what's amazing? This story has transcended time. I mean, how many movies do we have to watch where the hero sacrifices his or her life to find their heroic path? So many movies, so many books are literally ripping off the story of Jesus because it's the greatest story ever told. A God who loves us, who came and gave everything for us and his name is Jesus. And then this verse, Romans 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's all it takes. You will be rescued just acknowledging you need Jesus. You surrender your life to follow him. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. See, some of us believe in Jesus. We believe the ideas, the concepts, the theology of Jesus, but but have we allowed those beliefs to move from our head to transform our heart? I had a friend years ago, his name was John Torres, and he was resistant to following Jesus. His big concern, his question was, how can I follow God when there's so many people who've never heard about Jesus, like the people of India? And so a couple of friends and I set him up with lunch with our senior pastor. His name was Erwin McManus, and Erwin was talking to John. John brought up his concern, and Erwin said, oh, you, you're concerned about the people of India. Have you been to India? And John said, well, no, I've never been to India. 
And Erwin said, oh, well, I have been to India because there's a family from our community who actually gave up everything in Los Angeles to move to India to help the people of India. See, God does love the people of India so much that he's moving people over there. He's sending people like me over there. See, I don't think the problem isn't that God doesn't love the people of India. The problem, John, is that you don't love the people of India. Because if you did, then you would say yes to everything you already know about Jesus so that you could then go over and help them. And that day, John decided to follow Jesus. Not for what he could get, but so that he could be a part of bringing life to the people who've never heard. This next song is a chance for us to connect our hearts to God, to even respond or reflect. I want you to consider what is God calling you to do? What is your next step? Maybe it's to simply begin developing meaningful, significant relationships with those already in your life. Maybe it's to begin praying, not just simply protect me, but send me with an open heart of what he might want you to do short-term or long-term. Maybe there's some entanglements that we talked about last week that you know you need to give up that are keeping you from the life God has for you. For some of you, maybe your next step is to say yes to what Jesus has done for you. To help you with that, we have baptism right after the service. It's a public symbol of dying to your old life, being raised to walk a new life. An opportunity to express what could happen in your heart even during this song. See, God is all about taking what's broken, what's old, and bringing about something beautiful and new. So let's stand together, and during the song, consider your next step.